BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Hey, everybody. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Welcome to Beekeeping for Newbies. As always, I appreciate you taking the time to listen. Thank you so very much. Feel free to reach out, Jeff, at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Okay, well, uh, I am feeling a little beat up still, so I told everybody, I think, at the end of last week that I was trying to get some podcast stuff going for the weekend, and I would definitely have something out by the end of the weekend, and I was laying around on my maybe not deathbed, but not feeling so hotbed, up until still late last night. I learned a valuable lesson. Um, generic NyQuil does not knock you out like the real NyQuil does. Normally, you know, NyQuil, man, you take that stuff and so like somebody give you a right right hook and you're out in about 20 minutes. But the generic stuff didn't quite cut it for me. So I am doing the best I can to be back in action here to get this episode out to everybody. And today we're talking about getting bees to make use of available space. You know, I know this is a thing that it's kind of a, it's, it's goofy and I don't understand it. I don't know exactly why it happens, but you'll have a situation where the bees are in the hive and they're doing their things. They're drawing out comb, you know, particularly for your, you know, your newer colonies, they're drawing comb and you're watching them start using frames two, three, four, five, and everything is starting to go well. And then they kind of stop and you're like, why are you not going left and right? Or even worse, you see a lot of space available to them and you start to see swarm cells. You know, I've seen this happen quite a bit where you have, uh, like you'll add a super, maybe you're at like 70% utilization. You know, you've got three or four empty frames in your brood chamber. You put a honey super or another brood box on top and you're thinking, okay, cool. They got plenty of space. I'm going to go on vacation for a week or two, come back and check on them when I get back. You come back and they've either swarmed or there are swarm cells and you're like, why have they not drawn anything up above? Why didn't they make use of those last couple frames? So today we're going to try and see if we can discuss a little bit about that. It's not a very lengthy discussion. So with that, I'm going to bring some Q&A in from the Discord and we'll try to do a little bit of both today and uh, get this, this topic covered as best as we can. So I know I've mentioned it before, and we, we've talked about it in, in different, you know, um, in the Discord room, I think we've talked about it quite a bit, but I've mentioned it in kind of bits and pieces in other other podcasts, other episodes. But let's kind of go ahead and, and just jump into, well, I guess, more like the scientific side. I'll give you the, the really scientific answer 
first off. So, of course, the question being, why do they not always go left and right, and why do they not always recognize space above them? The scientific answer is I have absolutely no idea. I can understand why they would not want to move horizontally sometimes because they kind of tend to want to be like in a tree where they're moving vertically. So that part I get. What I don't really understand is why that top of the frame, it's like they hit the top of the wooden frame and they're like, okay, it can't go any higher. You know, you'll open things up and they'll be in there. They'll move around in that space, but yet they're not drawing things out. In my position, I've kind of gotten to where I, I've, instead of trying to figure out the why behind it, I just try to find ways to get them to use the space. So one of the first tips that I like to do, this is particularly useful if you're getting them to draw comb in a brood chamber. There's a technique that people refer to as checkerboarding. Now, if you think about a checkerboard, you know, whether they're like red, black, white, black, whatever the space colors are, every other space is a different color. So think about this concept with your frames. So let's say you open up your colony, you've got a single 10 frame deep, and you've got six of the frames are drawn with comb, and they have brood and bee bread, nectar, honey, whatever's in there. If you're going to checkerboard, you would essentially have a used frame or a frame that is in use, and then a blank frame, an in-use frame, and then another blank frame. When I say blank frame, I mean like, you know, wax foundation or, or some kind of a you know, foundation frame. And you would do that with every other one. And the idea behind that being that, okay, well, you've completely destroyed their system, which forces them to redraw everything up. I don't use that technique. I feel like when they put everything in the colony or in the, on the frames, they do it in a, in a kind of a systematic way where, you know, you have your brood located near bee bread and nectar and, you know, your food stores of your honey or to the outsides and that they have a system in place. When you completely disrupt that and you just put things kind of wherever you want, it, it, they can work with it, but it's a lot of extra work. They have to move a lot of things around. In an effort to not create a lot of extra work for them, what I usually do is I do it a frame at a time. As an example that I kind of like I made before, the six frames in the middle of this deep are being used. I'll pull one frame that's a blank foundation from the outside, slide everything kind of left and right, and drop it right down in the middle. And then come back in, you know, four or five days and kind of repeat that process with a frame that's maybe two to the other side of that. You know, leave a little gap in the middle, but breaking up that brood chamber really makes them get kind of antsy about things and they will draw that frame up pretty quickly. So that helps as far as getting them to make use of frames that might be in that deep or in that hive body. Again, pulling from the outside back to the middle. You can use a similar approach when you're trying to get them to move up. So let's say you have a deep in place. You've got six, seven frames drawn out. You throw another deep on top with nothing but wax foundation or, you know, whatever foundation you're using, plastic foundation, whatever it might be. You'll just take a frame right out of the middle of that brood chamber, preferably one that has a lot of nurse bees brood. It doesn't matter if it's uncapped or capped brood. Nurse bees are still going to be tending to it. But any, any kind of a brood chamber, um, any kind of a brood frame, bring that right up into the middle of that new box that you put on. That's going to bring a lot of nurse bees and other bees up with it. And then they'll naturally start drawing left and right. And you can just replace the other one with a piece of wax foundation. They'll draw that up in a few days and you'll be in business. Now, someone had brought something up, I think, in the Discord room of, so I have a couple of deeps already. 
but I need them to draw up a medium, right? So we need them to move up into the honey, you know, the honey, uh, the honey super, draw that comb and start making use of that space as well. But we don't want to have, you know, the queen laying up there and everything. So of course the common practice is put a queen excluder, put your, you know, your medium up there and let them go to work. But if you're in the same situation as you were before, right, you're, you're, they're not moving up. They're not drawing up that space. So let's talk about something that is specific to like a frame level thing that you can kind of do to entice bees. One thing I've done before with some success is kind of dousing it basically in sugar syrup, but put it into a sprayer and just you know spray liberally across the frames and then put those on. And that kind of helps them, you know, they smell that sugar and they get up into that area and start trying to drink that up. And then next thing you know, they're drawing it up and using the space. I have had some success with that in the past. The most success I think I've had or what I've found to be the most successful is taking wax that I've taken off of other frames, whether it be, you know, Burkholm that I've kind of put aside or if I remove a frame for whatever reason, I cut something out of it, I cut some queen cells out or whatever it might be where I have extra wax, just putting that into like an old little saucepan, melt it down and then just use a brush while it's still melted and brush it onto the frames. And that puts that natural comb scent onto the frames and then putting those in. I've had pretty good acceptance with those as well. The one tip I wanted to bring up is the idea of separating the separating an entire hive body from other areas of drawn comb. So let's say for example, you have a you have two deeps and you want to keep your queen in the bottom deep because that's where she's laying all her brood right now. The upper deep is mostly nectar and honey, but you still want them to draw up honey in another medium, but they're not moving up for some reason. What you could do is kind of double queen excluder the whole thing so you could put a deep on queen excluder undrawn medium right so you put a medium high body with no frames drawn in the middle completely disrupts their world another queen excluder on top of that and then put your deep on top now again this is a little unorthodox Um, i don't honestly i don't remember i don't remember if i've even done this before for anything i've done it with honey supers over honey So as an example, in fact, I did it just the other day where I had two deeps and a medium. I added a medium honey super, but I, instead of adding it on top, I moved the existing medium that that was completely full. I moved it up and put this new undrawn one underneath of it. So if I went down and checked it out right now, I'm sure that it would be completely packed full of honey. And that's just, it's again, it breaks things up because they know that, wait a minute, there's stuff above me. There's stuff below me. What's going on here? I don't understand. Well, let's just use this space too. Sort of the way that seems to work. But going back to that deep scenario, so the one concern with the approach I just mentioned of having a deep and then a queen excluded medium and then another deep is if there was any brood at all or the queen was kind of separate from that upper and lower deep, you can kind of get into a weird situation. You could theoretically be in a situation where you might have bees up top and young brood and no queen up there and they think oh my god we're queenless we need to make a queen cell right that could happen if you had young brood up there you know eggs and larvae also you could be in a situation where you could have drones that were up there in the top that got stuck because they can't get past the queen excluder 
So using that approach, it can be a little goofy. You need to consider some things before doing that. And, you know, like you can get around that by putting in a top entrance or like a vented top cover that has an entrance up there. So you would have a top and a bottom entrance. Drones could come and go as they needed to. And, of course, the queen would be in her space. But, again, you don't want to be dealing with brood above and brood below and dividing up the brood chamber in that way. So that's kind of a cautionary piece with that one. But like I said, the, the best way that I've found to get bees to move is just to break up whatever is there. So if you want them to go left and right, push everything left and right and move it from the outside. And if you want them to go up, move something up into that space or divide the space up in some way. Hey, everyone, thank you for listening. I hope that you're enjoying the show and are finding the information to be useful and valuable. In order to help keep the lights on, we do need to take a quick commercial break. Thank you so very much for hanging in there, and I appreciate you. We will be right back. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. All right, everyone, welcome back, and thank you for staying with us today. As always, feel free to reach out if you have any questions or comments. I always enjoy hearing about your experiences, answering questions, and learning more about the challenges you're facing in different parts of the world. So please keep them coming. It's Jeff at beekeepingfornewbies.com. Now let's get back to the show on the Beekeeping for Newbies radio network. Okay, that's not a real thing, but I'm trying to make it sound more official, so just play along, all right? Thanks a lot. Okay, so what I'm going to do now is just jump into some questions from the Discord here make sure we're getting some of these things covered. There was one thing I thought about when I wasn't feeling super hot over the weekend. And, uh, cause I, I feel like I got this from the airport. I'm pretty sure. I, I don't know, but I remembered this thing in, um, season one of the Netflix series called rotten. It's called lawyers, guns, and honey. Really, really good episode around the, the adulteration of honey and how, uh, some countries, you know, use a lot of like high fructose corn syrup and try to sell it as real honey. And it's it's really a cool thing. But I remember one of the beekeepers in there mentioning that they don't do pollination services anymore because taking all your bees out to California to pollinate the almonds is kind of like a bunch of people being in an airport and you're mixing germs and disease and stuff. And I was thinking like, yeah, I can relate to that. Anyway, great episode, so you should definitely check that out if you have the time. I posted that about that in the Discord as well. If anyone's not on the Discord, just go to beekeepingfornewbies.com. Right there on the homepage is a link to the Discord, and you can get in there and check that out. First question I've got here is when to super. Uh, you know, I would say in the spring at this time of year, I would say super early, super often, because they, they will 
fill a super so fast. If you have a big, strong colony and they, I mean, that queen's laying, you know, somewhere between 1,000 and 1,500 eggs a day. And that hive will just explode in population so fast in the spring. And if you can prevent them from swarming, that's just so many more workers that you have working for you and, and you know, um, storing honey and really taking full advantage of that nectar flow. So uh, I would, you know, the, the concern that I think a lot of people always have is, hey, you know, I recognize it by adding more space. It's more space that they have to keep warm. I don't want those cooler nights to be an issue. You know, unless you're in a really, really cold climate, I wouldn't worry about that as much. When you start seeing daily activity every day and, uh, you know, that activity is taking place, you know that new bees are being born. That's a bigger cluster to keep things warm on the inside. It's a bigger group of bees to keep the young brood warm. Uh, as long as it's not getting too cold, I, I really target nighttime temps that aren't getting really below like the 40s. But, you know, use your own judgment. If they're starting to take advantage of the space, if you do at that first inspection of the season or that second inspection and you're seeing things filling up, you know, sometimes it's not even bad to throw two, you know, two on at one time. And you say that you're like, man, that's crazy. I don't know. You'll throw two on, you come back in two weeks and they could be full. I mean, it's just they will go absolutely bonkers. So just get that first one on there fairly early. Give them some space. The one thing to be really mindful of, and like I kind of mentioned earlier today, is just because you throw that honey super on, it doesn't mean that you're safe. you got to make sure that they're getting up there and they're drawing out that comb and they're using the space. Um, I just, it's a goofy thing. Like I said, I don't know what the scientific reasoning is behind it, but sometimes you'll sit there and you'll have all the space they could possibly want. And they'll be like, yep, not using it. Swarm cell, we're leaving. And it's just, it's goofy. Um, another question is storing frames, um, frames of honey in advance of extraction. I was going to look this up and do a little bit of research, actually, because I don't store them. What I do is when it's time to extract, I don't have like a true, like air quotes, like honey house, you know, a, a building or a facility that's designed strictly for the extraction of honey. But what I do is if I have smaller colonies, like let's, I shouldn't say smaller, fewer colonies. So if, you know, if you have five, seven colonies, whatever it might be, you can use the escape boards, the escape screens where you put the board on, the bees can go up or they can come out of the super, but not go back into it. Uh, those are good for getting the bees out. If you don't have those, you know, you can just kind of give a good shake to the frame. You know, that's probably the one scenario where maybe that bee brush might actually work a little bit. They're going to get ticked off at you, but whatever you got to do to get the bees off of the frame. But I, I put them into either a tub, like a plastic tub, but generally I will leave them in the medium. I'll take an entire medium off, put that, you know, down into another box of some sort or somewhere, and then I get it indoors, you know, as quickly as I can get it out. Because if they're sitting out in the open, other bees will be flying around and other things will fly around. They'll smell that very quickly and they'll start trying to rob it out from you. So I get it away from the yard as quick as I can, bring it inside. And, you know, again, you've got to watch out for, uh, if, you're, if you're indoors or out, you got to be mindful of ants and other things. Because ants will go absolutely crazy for it. So I would recommend if you're just looking to, you know, do, you know, I don't know, 50, 100 pounds of honey, whatever it might be, just leave them with the bees until you're ready to extract. If there's a reason why you just absolutely have to get them off early, but you're not going to extract for a few days or a week or something like that, 
you know, you can always put them in a freezer. You can put them into some kind of a, a, you know, a bag or something. This is an area where I don't have a lot of expertise because I don't do that. But I'm just trying to think logically here. You want to put them somewhere where they would not be able to be reached by insects and things that can get into them. So, you know, mice, rats, possum, raccoon, you know, so don't put it in an outdoor shed that's not secured. And, you know, you don't want it to get too hot where everything gets completely uh, gross and weird. And uh, I don't think that's a good technical answer. Anyway, I don't take them off in advance of extraction. So I'm sorry that I don't have a, a better answer for you on that one. But I think that, like I said, you could storm away somewhere, seal them up. Okay, the next question is, where are queen cells located on a frame? Uh, typically, and I think we, we talked about this in the Discord room, typically they end up being like in that lower third, lower half of the frame. Sometimes I've seen them at the very top of a frame. And when that has happened, it's been a scenario where I've got two deeps stacked on top of each other. And the queen has kind of moved up naturally throughout the course of the wintertime. Temperatures start to warm up in the spring. She starts laying in that upper deep. And then as things start filling up and they're running out of that upper space, they start to work their way down. And it'll be almost drawing like the comb in between the top and that lower deep. So they're actually making the queen cell fairly low. That swarm cell is fairly low based on the top, you know, the upper deep but it actually ends up falling on the top of the next one. But typically they'll be down near the bottoms. This is where it's really handy when you're doing that divided nuke or that divided deep with the nukes on top kind of set up. It makes it really easy to kind of tilt the entire nuke forward, look underneath, and you can just look at the bottom of the frames and you can see the queen cups and queen cells pretty easily. But generally they're going to be down at the bottom. And just because they're not down there doesn't mean it isn't still a swarm cell. But, you know, all of those cells are still queen cells, whether it's emergency cell, whether it's, you know, a supersedure cell, queen cell, uh, swarm cell. They're all in that kind of queen cell category and need to be kind of handled in a similar way. Uh, when to feed. So I I feed, uh, I have kind of a short list here of things that, that or times where I feed. If I have a package of new bees, I just feed them constantly. I mean, you know, from day one, I have a in you know frame feeder inside the colony, and I just keep feeding them until they stop taking it. Any time that I'm working with a mini mating nuke or really small colonies, sometimes like sometimes I'll do a two frame nuke. One frame is the frame feeder, and then the other frame is just a you know frame of foundation that they're working on, and uh, and then I'll quickly you got to stay on top of those because they will draw them up really quickly, start popping queen cells, and that's a whole whole separate story, but. Uh, always feed on the smaller ones. If there is a dearth or if there are colonies that are really depleted in resources, I've had some where, you know, for whatever reason, maybe they were, um, maybe I call it a swarm or they were a swarm and then they had to establish a brand new colony, but it was at the end of the flow. So they didn't store a whole lot of honey because the flow is now gone or over. You may have to supplemental feed them through the summer. So that's a scenario where, you know, you have a dearth, so you're going to go ahead and feed them. You know, you can do splits all summer long. You can keep making new queens, keep splitting, and just keep going and going and going. It's easier to do that in places that have one big flow, which I think that this tends to be more of like a northern kind of thing. Uh, I don't know for sure. I don't I don't operate in those environments. But if you have a constant flow, let's say from, I don't know, mid-May 
through mid-August as an example. You just, you got just one steady state of flow. You can be doing splits and doing things the whole time. But once that flow goes away, you're kind of done. But if you're supplemental feeding and you're providing substitute, you know, substitute nutrition and different things that they need to grow a colony, you can do that all summer long. Where I am, we have an early spring flow, and then we have a dearth, and then we have a fall flow. It's good to break up that brood cycle a little bit to reduce your hive beetle issues and some of your varroa and things like that. But it's not as cool for keeping those smaller and newer colonies alive. I definitely recommend if you're going to try to continue to grow your apiary, just be very mindful. I've done this before in my early years where I was like splitting like crazy. I'm like, oh, this is great. I'll make another one here. I'll make another one there. And then I've got like six new colonies in May. And then it hits June and there's nothing left. And they've got like, you know, two or three frames of resources and that's it. They've got nothing else and everything dries up and the queen's not laying more because there's no more resources coming in. And it gets to be a little scary. So anytime I'm trying to grow new colonies, I will feed them until they stop taking it. And then once the flow runs out, I'll start feeding them again. And I'll feed them all summer long until the fall flow. Now, on a regular, typical production colony that I would have, I in my area, I'm able to pretty easily run, like, as an example, I can do a double deep and a single medium all year long. They'll overwinter in it. They've got plenty of resources with that, no problem at all. And then in the spring, I can stack one or two supers on top of that. I take all that honey for me, no problem at all, and they, they are content with what they've got there. Pretty low maintenance, easy to deal with. Treat your, you know, do your treatments and keep an eye on them, and that's about it. But if for some reason I looked at them, you know, at the end of the fall flow, towards the end of the fall flow, and I don't see at least that full honey super of resources available to them, I'm going to go ahead and supplemental feed. Another note that I would uh, throw out there is that I always do the two to one concentration. I used to try to say, oh, God, what was it? Is it one-to-one that stimulates this, or is it two-to-one that stimulates that? And I could never remember. So I always had to look it up every time I wanted to go do any kind of supplemental feeding. And then I watched this video that Michael Palmer does, and this guy was asking him, like, okay, so how do you do your feeding? What do you measure? Like, what do you use to make sure you get the right amount? And that's where he gave the thing I've talked about before, but I'll do it again. You take a five-gallon bucket, fill it with, um, you make a mark, Mark a line on the inside of it, a couple, a couple inches from the top, as high as you want that sugar syrup to go. Fill it up with um, with sugar, and then uh, just start adding in water. And you know the water will come to that line. Just start mixing, and then when it gets mixed well and thoroughly, to where it's not really you know mixing any more into what's there, add more water up to that line. Start mixing again. And you'll see it drop back down and it'll keep dropping down. And eventually you'll hit like a saturation point where, you know, it won't, there can be no more absorption of the sugar into the water and it will be sitting right there at your line. And that sugar line, wherever that sugar line is that you made, if you're filling the water up and you're repeating that process over and over again, you will have an exact two to one mixture. According to Michael Palmer, this is not me or my fake science that I like to play with. So that's what I do for everything. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Just give them a higher concentration all at one time versus trying to feed them twice as much over a longer period. But I've had pretty good use or pretty good effectiveness with that. Pretty happy with it. Well, everybody, I'm going to wrap this episode up here. Definitely not feeling 100%. 
But at least we've got something in front of you here, and we'll work on putting together a better quality episode next time, but at least want to get a little bit of information over to you on some current questions. And uh, we'll look forward to talking to you here in the Discord and catching up with you real soon. Take care. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.